long-term, a bond-trading firm, was on the brink of failing. The fund was run by John W. Merriweather, formerly a well-known trader at Solomon Brothers. Merriweather, a congenial though cautious Midwesterner, had been popular among the bankers. It was because of him, mainly, that the bankers had agreed to give financing to long-term and had agreed on highly generous terms. But Merriweather was only the public face of long-term. The heart of the fund was a group of brainy, PhD-certified arbitrageurs. Many of them had been professors. Two had won the Nobel Prize. All of them were very smart, and they knew they were very smart. For four years, long-term had been the envy of Wall Street. The fund had racked up returns of more than 40% a year, with no losing stretches, no volatility, seemingly no risk at all. Its intellectual supermen had apparently been able to reduce an uncertain world to rigorous, cold-blooded odds. On form, they were the very best that modern finance had to offer. This one obscure arbitrage fund had amassed an amazing $100 billion in assets, virtually all of it borrowed. Borrowed, that is, from the bankers at McDonough's table. As monstrous as this indebtedness was, it was by no means the worst of long-term's problems. The fund had entered into thousands of derivative contracts, which had endlessly intertwined it with every bank on Wall Street. These contracts, essentially side bets on market prices, covered an astronomical sum, more than $1 trillion worth of exposure. If long-term defaulted, all of the banks in the room would be left holding one side of a contract for which the other side no longer existed. In other words, they would be exposed to tremendous and untenable risks. Undoubtedly, there would be a frenzy as every bank rushed to escape its now one-sided obligations and tried to sell its collateral from long-term. Panics are as old as markets, but derivatives were relatively new. Regulators had worried about the potential risks of these inventive new securities, which linked the country's financial institutions in a complex chain of reciprocal obligations. Officials had wondered what would happen if one big link in the chain should fail. McDonough feared that the markets would stop working, that trading would cease, that the system itself would come crashing down. James Kane, the cigar-chumping chief executive of Bear Stearns, had been vowing that he would stop clearing long-term trades, which would put it out of business if the fund's available cash fell below $500 million. At the start of the year, that would have seemed remote, for long-term's capital had been $4.7 billion. But during the past five weeks, or since Russia's default, long-term had suffered numbing losses, day after day after day. Its capital was down to the minimum. Kane didn't think it would survive another day. The fund had already asked Warren Buffett for money. It had gone to George Soros. It had gone to Merrill Lynch. One by one, it had asked every bank it could think of. Now it had no place left to go. That was why, like a godfather summoning rival and potentially warring families, McDonough had invited the bankers. If each one moved to unload bonds individually, the result could be a worldwide panic. If they acted in concert, perhaps a catastrophe could be avoided. Although McDonough didn't say so, he wanted the banks to invest $4 billion and rescue the fund. He wanted them to do it right then. Tomorrow would be too late. But the bankers felt that long-term had already caused them more than enough trouble. Long-term secretive, close-knit mathematicians had treated everyone else on Wall Street with utter disdain. Merrill Lynch, the firm that had brought long-term into being, had long tried to establish a profitable, mutually rewarding relationship with the fund. So had many other banks. But long-term had spurned them. The professors had been willing to trade on their terms and only on theirs, not to meet the banks halfway. 
The bankers did not like it that the once haughty long-term was pleading for their help. And the bankers themselves were hurting from the turmoil that long-term had helped to unleash. Goldman Sachs's CEO, John Corzine, was facing a revolt by his partners, who were horrified by Goldman's recent trading losses, and who, unlike Corzine, did not want to use their diminishing capital to help a competitor. Sanford I. Weil, chairman of Travelers Solomon Smith Barney, had suffered big losses too. Weil was worried that the losses would jeopardize his company's pending merger with Citicorp, which Weil saw as the crowning gem to his lustrous career. He had recently shuttered his own arbitrage unit, which, years earlier, had been the launching pad for Merriweather's career, and was not keen to bail out another one. As McDonough looked around the table, every one of his guests was in greater or lesser trouble, many of them directly on account of long-term. The value of the banker's stocks had fallen precipitously. The bankers were...